Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Robbie Straczynski. Thank you so much for joining us on episode number 89 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. On today's show, for the first time ever, we'll have not one, but two guests. Two peas in a pod, this pair of persistently prolific publishers have together had one heck of a significant impact on the poker world. On today's show, we have the privilege of welcoming the co-owners of D&B Poker Publishing, Dan Adelman and Byron Jacobs, and we'll get to know them a little better. Dan and Byron, welcome to the Cards Chat Podcast. Hi, Robbie. Hi, Robbie. Thanks for having us on. Very happy to be here. Very good to see you both again, uh, you know, Zoom albeit, but hopefully uh, at some point in the not too distant future, we'll be able to uh, reconvene uh, in in person. Um, so I, I will kind of like apologize in advance. Some of the questions I'm just going to throw out there. And I guess between the two of you, you can decide who can answer yeah. it or add. But I, I know the two of you have a pretty good rapport and we've spoken together. So just a, a friendly conversation. Um, you know, mo- my hunch is that much of the Cards Chat audience is very familiar with the work that you've done in the industry, but far less familiar with the both of you, sort of like the people behind D&B Poker. So let's start out by asking uh, independently, you can give your separate answers, what is it that led each of you into the publishing world? Well, should I start, Byron? Yeah, go on. Well, so many years ago, I don't really care to remember, but... um, my very first job was in publishing, and it had always been the goal of mine to get into publishing. And I was very fortunate that my, my first job was in publishing, working for the Financial Times um, several years ago. And since then, I've worked for various publishing companies, big names, Hodden and Stoughton, Dawn and Kinsley, big, large houses. Um, and then eventually... Um, worked for another publishing house and met Byron and we started our own company and sure. the rest is history. Cool. And before I get to Byron, just a follow-up, what yeah. is, you know, when you say I've always wanted to get into publishing, so you studied journalism? Well, or? well I studied business, but I've always been, I've always loved books. Um, I used to write stories myself when I was young, mm-hmm. um, child, and you know, I was always fascination with books and, and writing. And so it was always something that fascinated me. And, you know, I'm very, very fortunate. I've ended up doing something that I that I love. Um, and it was a goal. It was a goal in my youth to, you know, to actually start my own business and not be tied to uh, the corporate ladder and <laughs> something else that managed to, you know, to fulfill. So, yeah, it's worked out great. Excellent. And, Byron, you have a similar story or you just kind of, like, no, fell I, into I it actually, backwards? I actually have a completely different story. Um, I've got no, like, professional or otherwise training in publishing whatsoever. What what happened was I've got a, a background as a chess player. When I was a kid, I'm, I'm still strong now, but when I was a kid, I was a strong player. And it got to, like, uh, I was about, I don't know, 22, 23 or something. And this was kind of in the late 80s, early 90s. And suddenly 
um, people began to have PCs at home, you know, the, the early days of people actually having PCs way before the internet or anything like that. And because I was a chess player, I was quite nerdy. So I quite liked computers and, and playing with them. And they were obviously very crude in those days. But I kind of worked out how to do some sort of basic chess publishing. I sort of made a way to do the pieces and the diet. And it was on a sort of dot matrix printer and it was with an Atari machine. It's all, you know, you see the stuff in the museum these days. <laughs> but um, I was kind of like the only person who was sort of doing this. And so I kind of slowly sort of got some jobs at tournaments and I sort of wormed my way into a, a publishing house called Batsford who did who, who they were the leading chess publisher at the time and so sort of one thing led to another and I ended up just publishing chess books and then uh, that's how I got to meet Dan because Dan was working well they called it it wasn't every man at the time was it was it talking chess at the time um, and it became every man but Dan was doing the, I think you were essentially doing the marketing so I was kind of doing the, the sales and marketing and kind of yeah. managing the business a bit yeah, um, and Byron was on the editorial pushing editor editorial side of things. Yeah, so we were very closely together. Yeah, back in '94, I think we started working together. Yeah, it was a long, long time ago. Oh, and, a long time ago. Um, I was essentially supplying the the the, uh, the content, and you know, Dan was doing all the sales and marketing. And we, we got on quite well. And we were quite a good team. And we thought it'd be possible that we could set up something ourselves so we did and it was a general kind of games was was the idea we would do bridge and iq puzzles and sudoku and uh brain teasers and and uh backgammon i think we did and stuff like that and we did like one poker book or two poker books or something and then there we sort of drifted into the poker boom you know around 2003 2004 uh-huh. and we thought well actually this this looks like a promising avenue to like explore so we, we started to do more poker books and yeah it's you know one thing led to another and we it's a it's a small little niche market but we've we've done we've done well in it it's it's i, I mean, think the skills complement each other very well so we kind of like dropped the the non-poker stuff after a few years when we realized that pretty much yeah. poker was where it was at really right and um and that's what we've been focusing on that's baron sedner for the last 20 years, really. Right. So, so Byron, I'm specifically wondering, with everything that you've said, though, I mean, Dan said, you know, he always wanted to publish. It was, you know, he was around books, that sort of stuff. You said you were, you know, you had the background as a player. What sort of intrigued you about branching out beyond playing the games into producing materials, you know, for people to learn? I I had to to make some money. I was but I was bumming around, like not really having a proper job or a proper life or anything. Uh-huh. And um, suddenly I could, uh, you know, I, I got paid to do to do reports at tournaments and things. And people like them because I could do like nice. I mean, nowadays it's all online and this is the, uh, this is like ancient history. But at the time, you know, I could produce little kind of daily sheets with all the all the info on and stuff like that. So I got paid and then I, I, I got jobs typesetting books for chess books for a, for the publisher and that, mm-hmm. that paid quite well and then because I, I i was good at chess and I, I could also write the book sometimes as well right. so you know just so one thing led to another suddenly i sort of had this job out of nowhere and you mm-hmm. know no 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 um grand design or anything like that it kind of sort of f- fell into my lap really sure so that's fascinating you said so you know and then you know the poker boom happened and you know that sort of thing and we hear that a lot from players you've seen it on television you know world poker tour chris moneymaker that sort of a thing but typically 99.9 percent of the folks who saw that said okay i'm gonna go ahead and play this game that's not what you decided you're like okay we're gonna get into publishing that's a you know kind of an interesting little side side well, you know, I mean, as far as i'm concerned i don't even, i don't play poker you know so i uh, 
it wasn't an option for me to go and uh, become the next Chris Moneymaker. Right. Um, so, whereas in our in DMB, Byron is the poker expert. You know, he he is. I mean, we'll talk about this later, maybe. But he is the person that actually finds the authors if they don't find us, and and, and reads the manuscripts and deals with that side of the business. And then I kind of deal with all the sales and marketing and, and the website side of things. So becoming a poker player was never an option. Right. Um, well, a lot of people, you know, didn't necessarily play it. They saw this, you know, Cinderella story of like some accountant, you know, who goes ahead yeah. and wins the, you know, beats all the pros. You know, you never had any sort of curiosity whatsoever to dabble. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't even in my, and I didn't even think about it. You know, I, I wasn't a chess player either. Mm. I wasn't a games player. I was just, my background was always in publishing. Right. So it just didn't even occur to me to try and become <laughs> a poker player. Right. And then, you know, it was Byron who suggested that, you know, why don't we try and publish a poker book? And it all kind of went from there, really. So it wasn't, it was never on my radar uh-huh. to try and become a, a poker player. So, no, it was so- actually me neither, because what happened was, because I got this interesting game, I just like games, full stop, right. uh, specialised in chess, but poker suddenly became more around. And I, I was just intrigued and I wanted to, I, I, mean, I didn't even know the rules. I didn't even know how the game worked, really. But then I, I found some stuff and a, a, I got a book or something. And then you could like, you know, you could join a site and play online, which I thought was miraculous, you know. And so, you know, I was, I was determined to try and, uh, get some expertise at the game. And uh, there wasn't much around to really help you learn in those days. I mean, the two plus two were doing stuff, but it, it, there wasn't really anything else. So, right. um, you know, it's just a question of like plugging away. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I picked it up fairly quickly and I got, got competent at the game after a while. So so that was good. So at least I had some knowledge so that when we started doing the books, I I, I could, you know, if someone sent a script, I could, I could tell if it was, you know, any good or if, if there were right. any if if it wasn't um, up to scratch. So. And, and, and as for playing itself, I mean, as a chess player, obviously, I imagine the appeal of the strategy of the game certainly appealed uh, to you as well. It's okay, this is something, it's not just luck, there's a skill element, it could be beaten. Um, so, you know, I, you know, I guess you said you dabbled a little bit online. You know, to what degree did you sort of throw yourself into the game, if oh, only for the purpose of understanding it? Quite, quite, quite heavily. I mean, I was probably playing, well, difficult to remember, but I, I must have been playing like 20 or 30 hours a week. But I was wow. kind of much younger then, so I had plenty of energy. I could do all the business stuff and then play till o'clock <laughs> in the morning and I was fine the next day. You know, now, now I'd be, you know, I'd be knocked for six. It wouldn't, it wouldn't. Wouldn't, wouldn't happen now. But yeah, no, I put uh, certainly around like 04, 05, 06, 07, 08, I was, I was playing a lot and successfully as well. Cause, cause kind of like anyone who was competent then was like making money at the game. That was the, that was, that was the real boom time. And was this exclusively online or you also ventured into uh, your uh, local just, The online. I've, I've played like one tournament in Vegas once, but no, I've always been an online player. It, well, like, they got plenty of clubs and pubs in, in England, you know, in the UK, never once ventured in to play, you know, a, a nightly, nothing? Oh, I just like to pop upstairs, you know, load, yeah. up, the, load up the site, get the mouse, click a, click a few boxes and see what happens. <laughs> that is fascinating. Wow. Okay. Well, you know, obviously, you know, the, the major, I would say, you know, look at the collection of books that you guys have published. It's mostly focused 
on the strategic elements, learning players, improving that sort of a thing. There have been some notable exceptions, though. Uh, you know, specifically biographies. You know, the couple that I had in mind was the uh, the Poker Brett by Phil Hellmuth and Life's a Gamble by the late Mike Sexton. Uh, particularly those two projects. You know, a couple of the biggest names in the game. How did those sort of come about, and what sort of inspired you both to take on those two in particular as okay, these are going to be the exceptions. These stories need to be told. Well, I think we have to give thanks to Jonathan Little for introducing us to Phil and to Mike. Mm -hmm. um, without him, we wouldn't have got around to publishing the books at all. And so we were out in Vegas at the time and um, Jonathan mentioned to us that Phil was interested in writing his autobiography. Uh -huh. And so he suggested to us that perhaps we could have a meeting with him. And um, Barry and I looked at each other and thought, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so Jonathan arranged it. And we, Barry and I went up to uh, Phil's suite in the Aria, his renowned corner suite that he likes to show everybody every year, sure. the, corner, the famous corner suite that Phil has. And so um, we went up there with not, I mean, you know, it was a bit of a pipe dream for us to actually get around to, public, to publish his book because we didn't think that he would go with us in the end. Um, but it was great. You know, we had a chat with him for about an hour and a half, two hours and told him what we could do for him that he couldn't probably do with another, perhaps a bigger name publisher. Um, and he showed us some material that he, that he had. And, uh, as I say, you know, it was a great meeting and we came away, Barra came away thinking, you know, there's a strong chance that he'll agree to publish with us mm -hmm. and the rest is history. Wow, excellent. So, and, and Mike Sexton? And, you know, a similar sort of story. I mean, Mike, you know, you know the, the sweetest man, everybody in the poker world loved Mike. And, uh, you know, quite a similar story. We, we sat down with Mike and had a chat with him and, uh, again, mm -hmm. spent to him, we know what we could do for 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 him that somebody else perhaps couldn't do. Um, and we just, uh, he's so easy to talk to. Yeah. Um, and uh, has so many stories. Yeah. That, uh, he, he was just a wonderful man and uh, yeah he was just he was you know it was a great honor to know him right and spend time with him and Baron I got to know him quite well yeah we went out we for meals with him quite a few times in Vegas and also in London and I, I mean it must have been three or four occasions and he, yeah. he, he was like you know he was like a great company to, to go out in I'll just tell one brief story when he came Baron and I met him in London once and we took him to the Ivy, which is a very well-known, famous restaurant sure. in London. And he just got off a trip to China. I don't know how old he was, Baron. Mid-60s, do you think he was? Oh, yeah, something, yeah, mid to late. So he just arrived from a trip to China. Um, had slept about three or four hours. <laughs> met him about 8 o'clock, 8.30 in the evening and took him out for dinner. Um, and, you know, he was, he was on on the ball straight away, you know, on fine form, telling stories, you know, it's a great rock and So he was, he was telling all his stories. Um, and we stayed there till about, probably about midnight. Um, and then Byron went back to his hotel and, and um, Mike and I got a rickshaw back to his hotel because uh -huh. it's, it's rain. And so just as we were, just as we were leaving the restaurant, um, they have these cycle rickshaws in London. Not like in India where it's all, you know, handful, but in, in London they do have these cycle rickshaws. And so we got the rickshaws, looking back to his hotel and 
I think the next day he was going off somewhere else. And yeah, so much energy. So wow. Much energy. But he was, yeah, he was a wonderful man. Very special. And I will, uh, you know, we've got to give that shout out to Jonathan Little. He was uh, episode number eight here on the Cards Chat podcast. And we also had Phil on episode number four. Unfortunately, we started the podcast after Mike's uh, passing. But uh, man, but, but I will say both, you know, I've, I've read both of those books. Um, and what I loved about it, though, it's it's so in their voice. You could, you yes. could literally hear them speaking to you. It's that sort of... Uh, first person, almost stream of consciousness type of writing style as you flip through uh, the pages. I think both of them, you get to know the people, I mean, especially for, for me, because obviously with the majority of our books, I leave that to Byron because he's the poker player. So I can't read modern poker theory, for example, <laughs> and, and, you know, get anything out of it or say anything constructive about, about it. But obviously, you know, the, biogra- the biographies I could read and, and um, yeah, you know, they're wonderful reads and you do get to know both of them through through their autobiographies. Beautiful. Well, you know, here's an interesting question and I don't necessarily need to put you on the spot, but it kind of like, as I was sort of preparing this, I'm like, this, this question does need to be asked. You know, we're, we're living in an age these days, you know, training sites and vlogs, those are the sorts of things that continue to go, to, to grow in popularity. And of course, we've all seen, you know, these headlines online, of course, well, newspaper circulation is down and magazines are closing up shop, you know, you know, that's just the reality of the day. So I'm wondering, you know, yourselves as, as book publishers, you know, the old school physical, you know, paper, that sort of a thing, how do you sort of ensure that DNB poker keeps on humming. You know, thankfully you've been in the industry for, as you said, since, you know, 1990s already, you're still around, to, you know, not just, okay, we're, we're, we're managing. Thankfully, you know, the books are still really selling well. You're, you know, producing numerous titles each year. How are you sort of bucking that trend of everything's moving to, you know, digital virtual type of media stuff? I don't, I don't think we're necessarily bucking the trend. I think there is still a, there's still a very strong market for books. I mean, certainly when electronic publishing, uh, we're talking maybe 10 years ago now, began to kick in, then there was a definite dip down. And it mm-hmm. wasn't just us. Like Everyone in the publishing industry, I mean, Dan will know better than me, but I think everyone in the publishing industry was, oh, whoa, what's going on? You know, our sales, we're going to lose 60% of our sales or something. Right. But it kind of stabilised, and of course, publishers can also get into the ebook market. There's nothing to stop us, to, and we do. You know, all our books are in ebook, and we've got Audible and other formats as well, video and stuff. But um, you know, that was a, that was a worry across the industry, and it, it certainly did take a hit for a while. But then it kind of stabilised, and now, rather like with, with things like CDs and vinyl, it, it's, it's sort of coming back into fashion a bit. Mm. And there's all, <clears throat> there's also an element that. When you've got a poker book, nine, nine times out of ten, you're you're trying to learn something from that book. I mean, you might be reading it for entertainment a little bit, but essentially you've paid $35, $40 for a book. You 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 want to learn something from the book, so you're going to study that book. And I think there's now a lot of research that is indicating that people can actually learn much better from the printed format than they can from the, you know, any kind of input that's loosely speaking online whether that's a blog a video whatever um i think there's something about having a book that just encourages a much more direct learning experience because you can't i mean i i I don't know about you but i've watched like poker videos and things and sometimes i've I watched something for 40 minutes i I couldn't tell you one thing that had happened i've been like away with the you know i've been zoned out completely whereas if you're if you're looking through a book you're you're kind of like forced to engage with it you can't like you can't like 
read it for 40 minutes and, and not remember anything about it. Um, so I think if you're trying to get to grips with some quite difficult concepts, then, you know, um, and there, I think there's a, I understand there's a lot of evidence to actually back this up, that people do get a better learning experience when they're, because when you're forced to do something rather than being spoon fed it, it's more likely to stick in your memory. So if you're force yourself to sit there and try to understand what this author is telling you and try to understand the concepts and the principles, it's much more likely they're going to stick in your mind than if you're just sort of half watching a video or playing with your phone while you're watching the video. Oh, what's that over? You know, because we've all got these really short attention spans these days. Sure. I think um, now, you know, bringing it, bringing your focus back to a book, I think, can be very, very good. And maybe maybe people have just sort of realised this and now they're, you know, just re really enjoying using books again. I'd like to think so anyway. Yeah. <laughs> just going back to the sales side of things. Um, of course, as Brian said, you know, when e-books first came out, we were all thinking, oh, it's the end of publishing. It's the end of, huh. you know, the demise is starting and that's it. And so, yeah, we did see e-book sales rise and paperback sales fall. Mm -hmm. And then, as Brian says, things sort of stabilise. And, you know, in the last in the last five years, I would say, even before the pandemic, Mm -hmm. Paperbox sales were starting to grow again mm -hmm. and ebook sales were stabilizing. So right. we were seeing the bounce back to, to books. I mean, one of the reasons, you know, Baron gave a very eloquent answer as to why, you know, books of people recognize that, that books are a very, still a very, very valid form of, of learning. Sure. Um, and so, you know, you know, we're, we're very happy with the way sales have gone on, on physical book sales. You know, I would certainly concur with that sentiment of, uh, you know, I think still, you know, the video as well as like the, um, you know, the audio as well as the paper in person, it's still engagement, but I think it has to do with, you know, passive engagement versus yeah. active engagement, especially when you've gone and, and paid for a book, you say like, you know, you're reading it with purpose, as you yeah. said, and, and, you know, there's not necessarily as many other distractions and pinging and notifications, you know, on your desktop when you're, as it was when you're, you know, with the course. So uh, online. So that, that's definitely a very interesting sentiment. Um, and you sort of alluded to this earlier, kind of curious, you said, you know, with regard to the new titles that you decide to go ahead and pursue as projects and on a year to year basis. So what is it, you know, about, you know, you said Byron's like sort of the poker expert. Are you sort of like, you know, finger on the pulse, this is what people want to read? Or are you approached by authors who are like, I'd like to write a book about, you know, ABC? I think it's a bit of everything. We obviously do get approached by people. And we've had some, I have to say, you know, a lot of the approaches are stuff that's it's it's stuff that's better off being self-published, to be perfectly frank, you know, it's like okay. that kind of stuff. But we've have had some projects where people have approached us and uh, they've turned out fantastic books. So, you know, that could certainly uh, be an avenue. Now, obviously, we we try and work with people like John Little, who, who kind of like knows everyone in the in the who plays poker. So he sometimes puts us on to people who, who can potentially do a good job for us. Mm. But what I try to do when I'm thinking about what we've got in the list, the, the temptation, uh, the, the, the trap to fall into when you're like, doing something like this is to just keep doing the same book again and again and again, you know, with a different author and different, but, but, you know, mm -hmm. so, so I, I'm always trying to like have a different perspective on the game. Like we use Alex Fitzgerald writes for us and he's very, keeps it very simple, straightforward, simple technical advice hammers away at it tells you again and again and again makes no apology for telling you again and again and again because you've got to do this this will work these these five and then you know at the other end of the spectrum we've got someone like you know michael acevedo who writes modern poker theory which is like the encyclopedia britannica of modern poker or something tells you everything you know in, in tremendous intricate detail and so they you know it's it's important to like 
have a, you know, that not every book is the same, that there's a different approach, you know, even stylistically, like the way they look. Sometimes we have a lot of graphics. Sometimes it's a lot of text. Sometimes it's a balance between the two. So, so hopefully there's something for everyone and they, they, you know, they can absorb the information in, in, a, in a, when it's delivered in a different style and a slightly different format. And, you know, one may suit some people better than others, but we I think, you know, the advantage of course, because we've been doing this for so long and you know, this year is our 20th anniversary of, of publishing. Congratulations. Books. Um, Thank you. I think that um, we cover because we've been publishing so many books over such a period of time. We cover all the different um, methods of people can learn and digest um, the poker books. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, we have beginners' books, um, and we have you know at the, the spectrum we have the, the modern poker theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think you know somebody like us with so many poker books in our list, we have something for everybody. Sure. Um, so the thing is, you know, obviously anyone out there can go ahead and say, okay, you know, the Mount Rushmore of poker players, and they'll name like, you know, Phil Ivey, they'll name Daniel Negreanu, they'll say like a Stu Unger. But, you know, th- those, you know, it, it's kind of known you don't, you know, all the best players aren't necessarily, it's nothing not to take away from them, but not necessarily the greatest teachers and by extension, not necessarily the greatest writers. So when you're seeking out someone, so obviously, you know, you've got, you know, that that in, Jonathan Little knows everybody. Okay, sure. But what sort of qualities are you looking for? And, you know, perhaps for a player out there who says, oh, I've got a book in me. You know, what sort of qualities are you looking for in a writer, in a potential author, as far as, you know, they seem to be the right fit for the person to you know, produce a volume about one, a particular subject. I, I mean, I, I, I've always loved books all my life, um, and I've been involved in producing them for you know, longer than I care to remember now. But there's, I have one very simple test as to whether I like an author's style. If they've written one sentence and I've read it, do I want to read the next one? And if I do, they're a good author. That's fine. I don't That's care true. if they can't spell, if they get the sentence back to front, if they, you know, that, that can all be ironed out. But some people can just, like, Tell a story. I mean, okay, it's not always telling the story, but they can get information down and they can write something. You think, oh, well, I wonder what's coming next. And so you're interested to keep reading. As long as they can engage you, um, I think I think that's 100% of the battle. I mean, I've worked with authors who are like, uh, we have Oxford and Cambridge, so we call it Oxbridge, Oxbridge educated. So it's like the highest kind of level of academic achievement you can get. And they are they're awful, you know. They, they they use like words that you can't find in the dictionary and stuff, and you know it's kind of you know they their their prose is full of like amazing words and terms, but it's kind of like boring to read, and you you're just not interested. Whereas other people who like their school at sixteen and they can write great stuff, you know. They're really really. I mean, Alex Fitzgerald is typically he won't mind me saying this. He's not highly academically educated he had a different kind of background he kind of went out in the world and made his way in the world he won't mind me saying that i'm sure he's a he's a brilliant writer because every sentence he reads you, you want to know what the next one is you know he right. it really draws you in so that is that is my that is my test for what what good writing is and what the kind of authors that i like to work with i mean sometimes it's more important i mean if you're doing a, a purely technical book it, it it kind of doesn't matter so much but it still helps if the person is able to engage you and get interesting content find an interesting way to present a concept and uh you know and so on rather than just putting it down in a very bland format if they can draw you in and explain to you why this is interesting and when they first learned about it and oh how did it help them you know etc cetera, etc cetera. sure uh, you know I, I think you both agree it's a, a true blessing to 
do something that you love and be able to make a living from it. Absolutely. Beyond that, though, what is it that, that you know, each of you independently enjoy so much about what you do? I can get out of bed whenever I want. That, that, that <laughs> <laughs> I think this is the freedom of working mm-hmm. for yourself. Uh, you know, there are times like, like I live in France, so, you know, it's now half past eight in the evening in France. So there are times, obviously, when you have to do things in the evening. But then if tomorrow morning I don't want to start work till half past ten in the morning, then uh, I don't have to. And yeah. there are times you have to work at the weekend and things to do at the weekend. And if you have to be on and off whenever you want to be on and off. And I mean, for me, that's that's wonderful. That, that freedom of, of being you know, my own boss, I think it's, it's wonderful that you can do that. One of the things. That's, that's worth an awful lot. In right. terms of you know, financial, I, and I'd much rather give up some sort of financial um, uh, advantage to have that sort of freedom. Sure. Well, that's something that definitely resonates with me. And I imagine yeah. you know, just pretty much most yeah. people involved in this industry, especially yeah. on the playing side, they pursue that in order to have that sort of freedom. And that's kind of cool to hear from uh, from your perspective yeah. as well. Also, it's kind of nice to have your own thing. I mean, any poker player watching this who plays it, professionally or close to professionally will will I'm sure this will resonate with them in that you are the sort of uh, I don't want to sound too grand but the kind of master of your own destiny you know you're yeah. not you know if you do good stuff and you you learn what you're doing and you produce good work in whatever context or format that might be you'll probably be successful and that will be very give you a lot of satisfaction you're not just a cog in a wheel you're just producing something and you're getting rewarded for your your effort and your talents and the and the, the hard graft that you put in to try to master whatever it is you're doing whether that's playing poker producing books or whatever you may be doing sure um, i mentioned at the, the top of the show that you know so many folks in poker you know whether it's professionals or recreationals are familiar with your work but not necessarily with the both of you but however i would say those who are familiar who have seen your faces before it's because you know you usually make this annual pilgrimage to the wsop yeah. Um, we are recording this on June 2nd, so I, I think it's going to come out three weeks from now. So, you know, whoever's listening to it, so it's a little three weeks yeah. old. Uh, the WSOP just started a brand, you know, brand new venue, Bally's Paris on the Las Vegas Strip. Um, do you have any plans, uh, either of you, even for a little bit to go out to the Well, World you know, obviously in the past we've had uh, booths at the WSOP. And as you say, you know, a lot of people have got to know us through through having the booth at WSOP. Unfortunately, the move from the Rio to Bally's stroke horseshoe stroke Paris has not been um, brilliant for us because the booth prices mm. went there to there uh-huh. and uh, it just didn't really make it viable, unfortunately, this year for us to take a booth. So we're not going to have a booth this year. Um, we are doing things to try and compensate for that for example as i said earlier it's our 20th anniversary this year so we're running promotions throughout the whole of the bsop mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you've probably seen already that you know roughly 20 percent off various books at the moment i will be doing other things over the next uh, several weeks um to keep uh, obviously it's not the same as having a booth at the bsop but sure. we're going to keep our, our profile as high as possible but no we're not we're not going to have a booth, unfortunately. And no temptation to ever jump into any one of the events, especially dance. There's some sort of like, I don't know, the the the, 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 the millionaire makers, you know, let's take a no. shot, you know, nothing. No. I know I could get I could get the best coaching, the best training in the world. Um, but um 
no, it's 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 not appealed to me. It's just not. Okay. No, no desire. I can, I, I, like I said, I've played. I, I played two tournaments. The lowest of the lower, there were like one hundred and sixty dollar buy-ins or something. You know, you uh-huh. can't you can't get any lower than that. And I played two of these, and I can tell you, there's one thing that happened to me that I, I found quite curious and quite funny. There was because I'd never played live. I mean, I was even nervous about handling the chips, or am I supposed to do that, or you know, whatever. But anyway, um, there was there was one hand I got involved in, and I I, I can't remember the details of the hand, but I decided like uh, when the flop came down that I was go- I was going to bluff. I was going to bluff all three streets. Um, for whatever reason, I can't remember. And you know, I, I was uh, as an online player, I, I'd be, been in similar situations you know, hundreds of times. I wouldn't have thought twice about it. You know, I'd have bet, bet, bet using the mouse on it. But I'm sitting there suddenly, and I'm facing like real people across uh-huh. the table from me, and I'm thinking. I, I can't bluff. That's, that's that's lying. You can't do that. I can't pretend to have a hand when I haven't got one. That's you're not supposed to do that. That's that's very naughty. I, I, had, I had real difficulty putting the putting these chips in the pot when I was um, when I was bluffing. I felt quite embarrassed about bluffing. You know, I would never have expected that. Never. I, I think that one of the reasons why we are so successful is the fact that I don't play, and Byron plays. But only online and not live. Yeah. I think if we were both if we were both poker fanatics and obsessed with the game, then I just don't think it, it would work because we spend all our time talking about poker and wanting to play and watching videos from right. everybody. So I think right. the fact that that we haven't got that, I think that's a that's a great advantage actually. Interesting. But I will say though, you know, you know, for many years when you did have that booth, both of you probably, and I don't know if I can, you know, I have to contact the Guinness World Record officials, but you've probably combined listened to the most bad beat stories uh, in the entire industry. Probably. Probably. And, and just any, and any, for me, you and Byron obviously can give a constructive answer. But for me, I can talk of the game, I suppose, because I've you know been in it for so long. But you know, a lot, a lot of smiling and nodding and sympathising from from my point. Of view, has, has there ever been a, a particularly high profile player who you were kind of surprised goes ahead and starts, you know, bitching and moaning to you about something that happened? Oh, well, we went, uh, that, that, there are all one or two, but I, I'm not going to say. That. No, <laughs> definitely not giving names. No. Okay, that's <laughs> it, it. Stuns me that they, you know, there's some, some top flight professionals who've been playing for twenty years or something. They can't. They, they, you know, I, I had a guy had kings and a, an ace came on the floor. Can you believe that? You know, like it, like it, like this has never happened in the history of the world or something. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> well, like you know, like you said, you, you've got a very interesting perspective because you're you know very deeply entrenched, yet also sort of removed. And plus, you know, just you know having products to sell, you've got obviously a, a unique set of data. And I'm sort of wondering, you know, obviously poker players, you know, whether among fans or even among mainstream, they have, you know, certain stereotypes or particular reputations. I'm wondering if perhaps, you know, over your years in the industry doing what you do, maybe through sales data or other sort of ways you've inferred information, has there anything been that's been a little bit maybe surprising to you from like, you know, what actually happens as far as, I don't know, like sales or popularity uh, you know that that may not be so clear to you know perhaps the average well, person. I mean, one of my biggest surprises is, is the success of the audiobooks. Oh, okay. When we first launched the audiobooks, um, Barry Beth and I thought we were, we were very tensive about doing it. We didn't think it, it, it would work. 
know, our books are very theoretical. There's lots of diagrams in them. Right. Why would somebody want to listen to an audiobook of a poker book? Because you need to sit and read and study the, the graphics. So surely they won't work. We thought, you know, maybe perhaps the psychology books, Dr. Trisha Card has written three psychology books for us. Maybe they would work quite well because obviously it's all text. Sure. Um, but we've been blown away by the success of the audiobooks. We've now published 18 audiobooks, all wow. recorded by the authors, all in professional studios, and we carry on publishing audiobooks. I think, from my point of view, that's, that's the biggest surprise, is oh. how well they have worked and how much people love them. And so w- one of the things that we do is we make the, the, um, the graphics available to audiobook purchasers. So if they bought the audiobook, uh-huh. they can either go to our site, they can get a special link within the audiobook, saying go to such a page uh, page on our, on our website to download the graphics or there's actually a download available with the audiobook directly from from audible um but that yeah that's that's been the biggest surprise huh. from my point of view interesting and you know you did mention uh, dr trisha carter i'm obligated to remind folks who are listening or watching she was episode number 61 right here on the cards jet podcast <laughs> <laughs> these up or do you just know them all in your head <laughs> i i plead the fifth you know that's an amendment i, <laughs> <laughs> I, I for some i will i will admit you know like uh I, i've said it before some of them i actually do remember because you know they just get referenced somehow relatively often but i may have a slight little cheat sheet you know uh, <laughs> <laughs> elsewhere but no, it's, it's important you know the fact is you know this is episode number 89 uh, as we mentioned you know some folks this is the first time they're tuning in to the cards chat podcast and you know they don't realize we've got you know 88 other wonderful episodes out there and you know go ahead and listen to those as soon as you finish this one uh you know a lot of great poker personalities players uh you know and, and industry members uh to listen to um you know you mentioned the audiobooks you know okay so when i hear audiobook and when someone hears they say okay so the author of the book just got there and read the book into the microphone what what exactly is the the process involved there what kind of behind you know the nuts and bolts behind the scenes that we don't know so um, first of all, um, the author reads through their, the final PDF that we sent to the printer to print to make sure that everything is flowing correctly and there are no little errors. It's very hard to publish a book without any errors in there. Mm-hmm. Um, a few typos, a few little tweaks, things that need to be done. So the author always have to go through that before they go into the studio. Um, and they're all, as I said before, they're all professional recording studios. Um, with sound engineers and uh, ability to edit the edit the uh, the, the recordings, um, and all the audiobooks have to conform to Audible's very strict requirements in terms of uh, reading of decibels and all these technical side of things mm. that they have to conform in order for them to be accepted by by Audible, and therefore, you know, the, the Audible have, have to have the best quality um, sure. audiobooks, which is fair enough, um, which is why we know we go into the studio and the author nearly always reads from an iPad um, or a tablet of some kind uh, rather than from the book themselves itself to avoid page rustling. Obviously, if you're reading from a book, you can, you know, that if you're watching pages, that would come up um, sure. in, in the audio recording. Um, and uh, the, the author always has to spend time with the sound engineer before they begin. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a whole process. And it's quite, you know, it's quite a tiring process for, for um, the authors. Um, mm-hmm. For example, we've just had Alex Fitzgerald have just gone into the recording studio to uh, record his latest book, 100 Biggest Mistakes That Poker Players Make. Um, Evan Job is the same. He's just published a book with us called Matching Small States Cash Games. Sure. And Evan's book was 14 hours long. 
Whoa. So, you know, that, and that, that's, of course, you know, finished hours. Right. So right. you can imagine how many hours it takes for him After to edit. So they spread it out. Evan felt that a couple of days a week was enough for him at a time. So, you know, he did it over several weeks. Sure. And rather than doing it all over a five-day period, Jonathan Little, when he's recorded his audio books, he's quite happy to kind of go in and, and do everything all at once. So, sure. you know, he would go in for a week or maybe 10 days and, and fire off, you know, the hours that way. Right. Oh, Everybody has their own preferences to, to how they want to actually record. Sure. So I'm going to be very lucky, you know, every author so far has agreed to go into the studio to, to record their audiobook. Sure. If, if, we, if we've asked them to do so. Sure. And, you know, you mentioned Evan Jarvis, episode 25. Got to give the shout out. Um, <laughs> I, I, you, know, you know, Byron, you're in the UK. Dan, you're in France. Have either of you ever gone and, and been present during the read-through of an audiobook? Were you there to sort of give feedback? No. Or you just sort of sit at home? No. Well, I always, I always arrange with the studio. Um, because we pay for it, obviously. Right. And so I always try and find a studio that's as near to the author's uh, place of residence as possible. Mm -hmm. um, and so I always I talk to a, a few studios first until I decide on the final studio, um, find one that's most appropriate. Most of them have some experience with audio books and the prices do vary quite a lot. So, you know, that's obviously a factor as well. Um, Jonathan, for example, lives in, in New York. And so we now have a studio that has recorded three audiobooks for Jonathan. And so, we you know, we'll use them every single time. Right. But, um, you know, as, as they are professional recording studios, they're all very competent in, in handling authors. So, you know, they, they don't really need any direction from me. They handle all the, you know, they know what, sure. they know what to do. <laughs> sure. Just a, you know, a couple of questions to, to finish off my line of questioning, my third degree here before we get into the uh, community questions. You know, you alluded very briefly to you know, just sort of the timeline and, you know, what you know, sales have been like and how things, you know, up and down. But you mentioned the pandemic. You know, that that's obviously kind of throws a wrench in, in lots of folks' plans. You know, I mean, it wreaks in all manner of havoc on individuals and businesses. Uh, and obviously the poker world included, you know, live poker had shut down for a long period of time worldwide. Uh, but both of you, you primarily work from home. And a lot of the, your communication with your authors is online. You know, it's, it, a lot of it just sort of gets done from anywhere you may be. As you said, you know, your freedom to run your business from anywhere. Um, what was the pandemic like, you know, I guess for you personally, both of you, as well as for the business itself? Well, I'll, personally, it didn't make much difference, really. Oh. Um, I, you know, we work from home. I work from home. And so whether it was a pandemic or not, I still work from home. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of sales, you know, it was actually very good for, for, for D&B. As people were at home during the confinements and lockdowns, um, they passed their time improving their 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 knowledge mm -hmm. and so sales of books and and ebooks increased during that period because people wanted to, you know, to improve their games and get ready for the reopening of of the world sure. so you know for dmb we actually we were very very fortunate um that you know it didn't it wasn't detrimental to us at all you know it was actually quite beneficial in terms of sales yeah. no, no one wants a pandemic but it, no. it, it did um, give us give us a useful boost it's um Sure. And for you, Byron, how, how did you manage for those two years? Also kind of just sort of same old, same old? Same as Dan. I work from home, yeah, like 98, 9% of the time or something. Wow. So uh, just carried on doing what I'd always done. Um, 
just with even less interaction with people that I normally have. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty minimal at the best of times. Interesting. All right, well, I, I got one, I think, what's kind of my deepest question. So and I'll give you each a time bank, you know, if you need if you need to use this one. Yeah, um, time bank. <laughs> you know what a time bank is. So, <laughs> it's like, sometimes you may need a little extra time. It's okay to sort of think. Uh, we'll call the clock on you if we need yeah. to. But And I often ask poker players you know, here on the show um, if they set any sort of goals for themselves. And, and often the replies tend to be pretty uniform. They're like, you know, just try to study hard, play my best, put in the time, the effort, you know, at the tables, away from the tables when I'm studying. You know, you know, the process sort of tends to be much more the focus and the goal, like a good, smooth process rather than necessarily being results oriented because that's just not healthy. You never know on the turn of a card, things can change. I'm wondering, you know, guys, if in the world of book poker book publishing, if that's the same, you know, are, are there just sort of too many variables like a pandemic, like, you know, I don't know whether poker is booming or poker is not as popular. Is that something that affects the industry, the sales, your workflow, or, you know, no matter what, will a book that's well-written, well-produced, will that always tend to do well? I think, yes. Uh, I think the answer is yes. You know, it, do, it does. Yeah. If it's a very good book, well-written, and obviously we get behind it. I spend a lot of my time doing, as you know, the sales and the marketing side of things and promotion side of things. And if we if we get behind it, then yes, there's no reason why any book shouldn't shouldn't sell. Okay. So, so what would your goals be then to follow up? On? So, so, you know, from a personal point of view, I always say to myself, I try and do something every day that I think will increase sales or promote a title or something. Something that I think, ah, that might help, whether it's in a specific tweet or think of a promotion or think of, it might not be something that actually goes out there, but something that I think of something, uh, an idea, a plan or something for the future that I think, ah, yeah, that's going to, you know, that should be beneficial. So I'm always thinking of something every day that, that will boost DMB. And there's never, you know, even at the weekends, you know, I make notes and drop things down. And so sure. there's never a day goes by where I don't try and do something that, that will be beneficial. Sure. And yourself, Barry? Um, yeah, I'm not so much into having goals as such. I think they're kind of a distraction. You know, it's, I, I much prefer the the kind of um, experience that you articulated earlier that a lot of poker players have. It's like you know, we'll try and do the right things, and then and then good stuff will happen. Um, you know, we don't want to think right. We're going to produce like five books this year, and we're going to get two that make X number of sales or so. Because then you just get too hung up on the on the figures, though. But whereas mm-hmm. if you just try and think, well, we're just trying to do interesting projects and things that we think will do well and will resonate with the poker playing public and will be popular, then then I, I think you're in a, a better kind of mindset for just enjoying what you do and trying to get good product out and and to get it you know marketed and distributed effectively. And Excellent. I think I think that's more that's kind of more satisfactory. That's not to say you. I don't think you should ever have you know because you know every time we choose produce a book, we we, we fulfilled a goal essentially. Sure. Sometimes that's quite a smooth process, and sometimes it's a not less so smooth. Right? <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I think little mini goals, but not some not some great overarching. You know, like, uh, we're going to be millionaires by whatever. You know, yeah, I think that's kind of point. <laughs> fair. Money publishing. So, so my last question for you guys, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, my most challenging question, um, what is life like away from the printing press? What do you guys do to have fun, to, to relax when you're not working? Um, well, okay, I'll go first. Well, I have a dog. 
<laughs> okay. so she, she takes up a lot of my time. Now, I know you said it's an audio, but I, I have to, because I know dogs obviously help sell things like, and I help promote, so I have to <laughs> put my dog just to show, very briefly. Okay, okay sure. Yeah, yeah, whoever's whoever's watching the video gets a treat. You get to see, uh, you know, so, Mr. Barkley Adam, Adelman. What's his name? Poppy. So she's called Poppy. Oh, she, okay, yeah. Poppy, uh-huh. yes. So she deal, you know, I spend a lot of time, well, not a lot of time, but, you know, walking twice a day and blah, blah, blah. You know. So she's got a lot of my time. And then I play table tennis. I'm a big table tennis fan. So I'm in the, the league and I play table tennis three times a week and uh, tournaments and things. So that's that's my time away from, from work. Excellent. Yeah, good good exercise for the body. You know, in, in, I live in France, so the aperitif is quite a big part of the French uh-huh. life. And so lots of aperitifs and lots of... Um, yeah. What's your favorite wine? You got to ask someone living in France. Well, I'm yeah, yeah, I'm not a great wine person. I do like a cognac and I do like a, a pinot, which is kind of like a bit of a um, a milder form of cognac. Okay. Um, and I do drink wine, obviously. Um, sure. I have no choice in France. It's a <laughs> when you arrive in the country, you have to sign a document. <laughs> <and> you will drink <laughs> red wine. Um, so I do drink, I do drink wine, but local wine. There are so many. I live, I live in a very small village of 150 people, uh-huh. with um, vineyards to the right of me and vineyards to the left of me. And oh, so, um, yeah, there's lots of good wine around me. Excellent. And how about yourself, uh, Byron? Um, I, I like, I like reading. I read an awful lot of stuff. You know, I'm always reading books and online as well. I'm just like kind of interested in kind of more or less anything and everything. Just I'm, I've very interested in in um kind of psychology and stuff like that so i read a lot of that stuff but also the, there's a lot of research recently about how people can learn things more efficiently and about mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff like that funny other than that i keep fit i play squash uh i like running um usual stuff really you know I go out with friends and things you know it's um just the, the, the usual kind of stuff but kind of kind of like re- reading i would say is probably my main thing i just really like reading stuff all the time Excellent. Well, I said, uh, you know, our, our goal here was to get to know you guys a little bit better. I think we certainly do. But, you know, those are just my questions. You know, now's the segment of the show where we turn to our Cards Chat community, all everyone else out there who's listening, who's watching uh, to see what questions you guys wanted to ask our guests. Uh, we do have a dedicated thread in the Cards Chat forums for this. So as we announce who our future guests will be, please be sure to send in your questions. Uh, Shells, thank you very much, Shells, for sending in these questions. Um, Wants to know... Um, oh, okay. Well, just one question from Shells. If if you're okay revealing this information, what is your best-selling poker book to date? Well, Modern Poker Theory by Matt Acevedo of recent years has been a best-selling book. It's been quite phenomenal, really. Um, delighted by the way that's gone. Um, wow. For that, uh, I would say Jonathan Little's selling it, Limit Hold'em. Uh, quite a few years old now, but that was an amazing book. Sure. Uh, contributions from everybody in the in the poker world. Jonathan, obviously, and Phil Muth and um, Mike Sexton and Alexander uh, Fitzgerald and... Evan Jarvis, Bernard Lee, all these great names, Trisha Cardner, and you know the list goes on. Um, so that that was our best-selling book of a few years ago. But currently, yeah, it's Modern Poker Theory. Cool. Well, it's interesting, you know. Like uh, if you look in the, I forget exactly where I read it, but you know, I, I think I guess it's common knowledge the best-selling book of all time is the Bible. 
you know, said, I guess it only makes sense that the Bible of poker, yeah. you know, <laughs> the modern poker theory yeah. uh, would, would be the bestseller. It's a great I, title that, that Byron came up with. It's, it's a really good title. What a modern poker, poker. yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, we were yeah. trying to produce like a, a modern super system, but we mm. didn't actually want to say super system. So we had to kind of like disguise it in some way. And I think modern poker theory sort of sum, summed it up quite nicely and I, I mean i'm delighted i mean obviously it's great for us that the book's done so well for pure purely financial reasons sure. but i'm actually delighted that uh, what is really quite a heavy theoretical work it's not an easy read mm. has proved so popular and like i think you know we sold so many i'm thinking uh, almost every serious poker player has got this book you know it's um and and it it's not an easy read which um comes back to the thing i was saying earlier that like you know when people really engage with material in a book i think they can find it very very um rewarding and clearly people do because you know it's it's full of equations and charts and stuff like that and it's not like you know oh, i was down the down the bellagio last night and this happened and that but, you know you've really really got to roll your sleeves up and get into it but if you do the rewards are huge and clearly people do, and people have taken to the book. So, you know, that was really pleasing. Interesting. Okay. And there is one more here from Shells. Um, I may have to tweak it because uh, the, the exact wording of the question is, given the variety of books you publish, which game is the biggest seller? So I'm, I'm pretty sure it has to, it's, it's Hold'em, but I guess I'll tweak it in, you know, which aspect of Hold'em tends to appeal most to the masses from, from your experience? Oh, that's difficult. Um, because like I said earlier, we try, I always try to do different types of books. So, you know, we've got ones that are geared towards live play, online play, um, exploitative play, um, basic strategy, complex strategy, using computers, not using, you know, there's, there's all kinds of different approaches. So uh, obviously, as just referenced, uh, modern poker theory is the big seller. But um, um, I, I would say... Books that, that that give fairly fairly simple, straightforward advice and have a decent amount of charts in them, so that you can see like hand ranges, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, quite quite clearly and easily. Um, they they tend to do very well. Good good solid instructional guides that aren't. I mean, modern poker theory is the exception because that's that's like I said, it's not an easy read, but it's mm-hmm. it, it can't be. You know, it's just right. a fulfilling prophecy. But right. you know, the, the ones that are fairly straightforward in the way they lay down what you need to do, so they're they're quite easy to read, um, not too dense. Um, stuff like that seems to go very well. That's what people really like. Interesting. Okay. I don't know. Maybe Dan thinks differently. I don't know. No, I agree. I think uh, yeah, I can't argue. Okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, our next uh, question asker is uh, Acid Burn FX. Uh, focuses a little bit less on the books, but more, I guess, uh, some interesting questions to plumb the depths of your minds. Um, so there's a couple directed directly to Dan, and a couple, di- you know, directly at Byron. So let's start with. Uh, I'll go with Dan first. Um, Dan uh, Acid Burn FX wants to know if you were to have to pick one luxury item that you could never sell. In other words, you have to keep it. What would you pick and why? One luxury item, poker related or non poker related, or anything. You can answer however you'd like. Oh my goodness, one luxury <laughs> item. I'm glad Dan got that one and not me. Oh, <laughs> well, I like these questions. Acid Burn always asks some creative oh, ones because we get to know the, the interviews. That's how you define a luxury item. I mean, you know, my dog is a luxury item. I could never sell her. Okay. Never forgive me. So, uh, I'll get it. <laughs> Is that a cop out? I'm gonna say say my dog. 
Well, value is in the, the eye of the beholder. So <laughs> exactly, I think, yeah. I, think I, I won't fair. say my son because I don't carry that. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, here, well here's, here's one for you then, Byron. Acid Burn FX wants to know, if you happen to leave your home, <laughs> he said you're always from home, but if you were in a high-speed chase, what song would you want blaring on the radio and why? If I was in a high-speed chase... <laughs> <laughs> what song would I want on the radio? I, I I obviously didn't do the right homework for this. Uh, for this interview. <laughs> I, I, I I've been looking at our books. And thinking, yeah. you know, I've, I've been barking up the wrong tree completely. Um, I've, I've no idea. What would I want played? Do you have any sort of favourite music? Maybe we'll simplify the question. There you go. Um, no, I'm just intrigued by this high-speed chase. I'm thinking... <laughs> Uh, I have the Benny Hill theme song, perhaps. That's a great idea, actually. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a great. That's fair. All right. So, um, I, I don't, uh, I don't know. Is is the answer? <laughs> we will accept. We will accept that answer. Um, Dan, back to you. What is your most treasured memory? Well, you know, it's got to be so birth of my son. Has to be. Beautiful. How old is your son today? 19. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. 19. Yeah. Very yeah. So that's, yeah, without a doubt. Very nice. Okay. Uh, Byron, a little bit more strange. Uh, for <laughs> what would you do if all of a sudden you were invisible? What's the first thing you would do? <laughs> I would, I would. Um, I'm glad you I, got this question, Byron. It's great. I, I would, if I was invisible, okay, I would I would find out where where playing cards are manufactured in in some um, in some factory somewhere, and I would sneak into the factory, obviously unseen, and I would find a way of marking the playing cards that nobody uh -huh. would know that I'd done that, so that when I went into the casino and these cards were being used, I could I could clean up. I'd be visible then because if I was invisible, it would be quite hard to uh, you right. know the table presence. You know, <laughs> I like that. Very creative answer to a creative question. All right, here's, here's one for you, Dan, again from Acid Burn FX. Dan, if you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? Um, I think it would be less to fly. Okay, to fly. And why was yeah. that? Good? Well, Byron knows this, but recently, which is driving me crazy, I've developed a fear of flying hmm. in planes. And um, I'm trying to find ways to combat it. But hmm. so if I had a superpower and I could fly, it'd be great. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, see, that's why I said, like, I've known you both for you know quite a while. I never knew these yeah. interesting things about yeah. you. So I, I, like, I love these sorts of questions. Um, <laughs> okay. One more, a little bit more down to earth for you, Byron. Uh, Acid Burn FX wants to know what is one dream you have yet to accomplish? Dream I've yet to accomplish. I'm not going to say win a bracelet or anything boring like that. Well, you that. have to get to the tables first. One dream I've yet to accomplish. See, I'm 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 kind of like um um how can I put it? Um I'm I'm like an older guy now, you know. So it, 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 these are sort of dreams you have, like maybe when you're a bit younger. Um, something I've yet to accomplish. 
No, I, I kind of feel that I, I, I'm like accomplished all the things that I ever wanted to or anything like that. But I, I feel I've kind of, uh, it's been okay. The journey that I've been on has been fine and, you know, I've done things that I wanted to do and there, there isn't much that I wanted to do that I haven't done. So in a, in a sort of low-level way, I'm, it's, it, I'm, I feel I'm quite content like that. Beautiful. On a particular thing, I, there's all sorts of, I mean, I'd like to be better at squash and things like that, but it's never going to happen. But uh, <laughs> um I've, I would, I would, there's books I might like to have written, but I've written quite a lot of books, and some of them I'm I'm quite happy with. So that that's sure. it's not such a big deal. Um, that's, that's a bit boring, I'm afraid. That's all I can, well, we can uh, say, look. Uh, you know, a hap, uh, life happily led is one where you do get to fulfill all the things you wanted to do. So uh, that's a great answer. It's wonderful. Um, we will move on to our next question asker, a little bit less creative and more, you know, to the point type of questions from Chica Bonita. Thank you very much, Chica Bonita, for sending uh, these questions in. Uh, I like this one. Um, Chica Bonita asks, you guys are so different. One of you is better versed in poker because he plays and the other is more passionate about marketing, advertising and so on. How do you manage to work in tandem for so many years, especially, you know, working remotely? Oh. <laughs> and is it easy for you to agree among yourselves when that's making why. decisions? I think that's why we work so well together, because we have both got completely different skills. Hmm. And, you know, it's like different personalities and we've got similar traits, but, you know, personalities are different. I think that's why it works so well. You know, I've said to Byron a few times, over the last 20 odd years, we've perhaps had a three or four crosswords, maybe three, maybe. Uh, virtually three nothing, words. yeah. Yeah, hardly. You know, nothing. We've never had any big arguments at all mm. in 20 odd years. And I think that's, you know, we weren't, they always say don't get to business with your best friend. I mean, we weren't best friends when we started working together. We weren't friends at all. And I think that, you know, that that helped get it going in the first place. The fact mm. we weren't friends and we just had completely separate skills that we could both bring to, to D&B. Um, Obviously, you know, we're now really good friends and know each other very, very well. But um, when it started off, that wasn't the case at all. And I think the fact that we have completely different skill sets hmm. aids, aids the company. Absolutely. Yeah. Also, I think I think our, our personalities integrate quite well in the fact. I think there's quite a lot of synergy there because um, I think Dan, you probably you you probably a bit more of a worrier than I am, which is uh, no 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 right or wrong to it. But if we were like both worrying and fretting yeah. the whole time, Absolutely. or if we're both yeah. completely kind of uh, uh, laid back, maybe too laid back, it, it wouldn't work. But there's a kind of nice balance like that, you know, and it's um, yeah. and uh, I think that, that 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 helps that we obviously we get on really well, which is very sure. important because we have to have you to know, interact. I think we should be, you know, better, very, very proud that we've been going, for, this is our 20th anniversary of publishing a book. I mean, we started more than 20 years ago, but it takes a couple of years to get things going sure. and, to, you know, publish. So, you know, it's a 20th year publishing a book and we're still going strong and still getting on great. And, you know, I think it's, it's, it's amazing that, you know, we are still in this position after so many years working together. Right. And we don't see each other that often. Obviously, when we were in Vegas together, we spent two, you know, a couple of months together. Um, but since COVID, Sure. We've not we've not met in the last couple of years or so. That must be a couple uh, of years, yeah, since we've been face to face. Yeah, we're in Barcelona, we? Um, but you know, we Skype all day, every day. We're always having sure. each other messages or speaking. Um, you know, we occasionally say, you know, we've not spoken for a while. Let's have a face to face Skype. Sure. Um, yeah. So we're always in, in contact. Sure. I, I think we've been very lucky to um, just do like have whatever 50 60 percent of our working lives interacting with someone that you know both of us from both of our perspectives we get on very well with you know and there's no never, never really an issue at all it's it's mm. 
it's 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 very lucky and it's that's really that's really great and i have to also interject you know you, you guys are not the only ones celebrating a 20th anniversary my wife and i are also celebrating 20 oh, years oh, well done. <laughs> there you go coming up. and we have the same thing haven't seen each other in a couple of years but every so often we spend a month <laughs> So just you zoom a lot, do you? <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, she doesn't listen to this show. So, but, um, question uh, number two here from Chica Bonita. Um, do okay, each of you. I, I, maybe you have different answers, or maybe the same answers. Do you have a favorite book among the books you've published that you really like? Well, you know, if I don't really play the game. Um, my favorite book is got to be Phil Poker Brad and, and Life's a Gamble. Um, because they're the only books that I've read from cover to cover and thoroughly oh. understood. <laughs> so they are my favourite Pokemon. Obviously, okay. you know, I, I've gone between the ones in small doses, but yeah, those, those two for me. Okay, and Byron? I would say, I mean, obviously, because I, I like commission and produce all the books, I, I kind of like every book. I mean, if I, if I don't like a book, it wouldn't get done. So, you know, obviously sure. I like all the books. So I'm not saying they've all been successful, but they've all been ones that have appealed to me. Now, one that I really do like is one that's going to come out shortly. And I'm not saying this just because I want to promote it or anything, but I just genuinely really love this book. And this is Alex Fitzgerald writing The 100 Mistakes, Worst, Biggest Mistakes That Poker Players Make. Because hmm. it's just it's just beautifully written. It's, it's quite... Not exactly simple, but it's he gets his message across in a really interesting and engaging way. And I just, I just, this might sound a bit strange, but the book turned up just like a couple of days ago. I got my, was it? Yeah, yeah, a couple of days yeah. ago it turned up. And because I'd worked on the book, um, what I'm going to say now might sound a bit strange. I actually really enjoyed reading the book because I sat down and read it. Now, you, might, well, you, you, were, you must have seen it. Yeah, of course I'd seen it. But when you're working on a book, sure. um, you're you're kind of not maybe reading it. You're trying to make it look good and make sure it makes sense and make sure the layout's all correct and everything like that. But just to like sit down and just sort of read it. And I really enjoy I didn't read all of it, but I, I read, I flicked through and read, the, you know, there's a hundred sections. And I read like maybe 10 of the sections or something. And it was just a, a really enjoyable experience. So everyone, Rush out and get Alex Fitzgerald. <laughs> you, you, you'll love reading it. It's, it's great fun, and you'll learn you'll learn a hell of a lot. Sure, sounds good. Okay, well, you mentioned obviously a lot of uh, big name authors that we, you know our audience is uh, intimately familiar with. Uh, Chica Bonita wants to know: Is there a story, or has there been an incidence of a pretty? unknown author who specifically gained popularity due to the fact that you decided to publish their book. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I can tell you, back in 2012, Dan sent me via email. He said, oh, look, this guy's contacted us. He's got a book. Yeah, this happens periodically. Once once or twice a month, we get something. And this guy called Will Tipton had sent this script in for a, for a book. It was about... Um, uh, it was about, uh, 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 it, it was essentially GTO, but before GTO became, um, became the, the, the buzzword in poker, he was, he, he kind of like ripped, ripped down heads up, no limit hold'em mm. and, and, and kind of got to the real, you know, he, um, I forgot what, from a sort of game theory point of view. Mm. And he, he was obviously an extremely bright guy and he got a career in Google now. And he, he read this book and I, I, read through this stuff and normally when stuff turns up unsolicited it's it's often not that good and mm -hmm. this was just like staggeringly good 
And, you know, I just couldn't believe how good this book was. And we, we absolutely published it. And it sold very, very well. And he did a follow-up as well because it was in two volumes. And he, he kind of like, he'd already like written the whole thing when he, you know, people normally just say, oh, I've got a few ideas. I'll put this in, you know, these will be the chapters. and right. You know, but he, he'd actually written and checked and done the whole thing. And it was just incredible. And obviously that became one of our, it was a very strong seller, I think, for many, yeah. many years. Yeah, and yeah we actually did it in two volumes. Lifted his profile. It was so huge. We, we couldn't publish it in one volume, so we had experts yeah. in the wow. two volumes. I remember yeah. um, one year, Chris Ferguson came to our stand, and he spent like, I don't know, 15 minutes yeah. looking through this yeah. book. We were wondering if he yeah. was going to buy it. And eventually he did buy it. But, um, you know, yeah. he was like reading it very clear. And there's all these people, because he's very quite a distinctive looking kind of guy. So sure. you know, when he was at the stand, there's all these people kind of, you know, you could see them. So, oh, is that, is that, is that him over there? Yeah. <laughs> Any, I have, I, I can't. Not as any interesting story of that time. And he stayed, you know, stood there 15 minutes. What was your conversation? I mean, you must have known who he was, as you said, the distinctive. Oh, sure. He, he, he seemed like a very quiet guy. He just kept himself to himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was, uh, okay. Yeah, quite quite a, a quiet demeanor. He was obviously like studying this book. And it's quite a difficult book. I didn't want to disturb him. You know, he needed to focus on <laughs> what he was looking at. Interesting. <laughs> Okay. Uh, our last question asker is Crystal. So I also separated the questions into Dan questions and Byron questions. So this one is for Dan, but you know, of course, you can feel free, both of you, to, to compliment each other's answers. Um, Crystal wants to know, Dan, has there ever been a tricky poker book that you've published? And if so, what made it tricky? For oh, a tricky poker book. I think books that are a bit outside of our normal range, for mm. example, perhaps a girl's guide to poker, which was published by Amanda Bockfeld, mm. um, which is unusual for us. We don't we publish books our books tend to be more theoretical strategy type of books. So I would say something like that was a more difficult book to sell. A bit of a slow burner, but it's a book that will sell, you know. Forever, there's no reason why it shouldn't sell. Sure. Um, and Amanda is, her profile is definitely rising um, in the poker world. She's playing a lot more and she did very well in the tag team last year. Yeah. Um, and she, you know, she works with you, Robbie, I know. Um, and uh, and so with Cards Chat, she's a writer at Cards Chat. And you guys didn't know this, but uh, we actually recorded with her. She was episode number 88, the episode right before this yes. one. Uh, okay. It'll be coming out uh, in the week. And guys, if you haven't listened to it, a phenomenal listen, a tremendous. An eloquent individual who speaks just as well as she writes. Uh, you know, so young, for somebody so young, she writes incredibly well. Yeah, and not even thirty very, years old. Yeah, very very eloquent. Yeah, and we met her out in obviously the WSOP, and mm-hmm. she, she was great. I mean, she's a great personality. And I think she's brilliant for poker. If she yep. can carry on, uh, you know, as she as she started and, and raise her profile even more, I think she's brilliant for poker and for women in poker. Um, absolutely, yeah, no, she's great. But yeah, I would say you know, books like that, which are a bit outside of our our norm, would be more. Difficult. I would say she's one of these people who I think I said earlier, like one of my criteria for judging writing is if I, if I read one sentence, I want to read another. She 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 kind of nails it every single time you know she writes something you know, oh that's that's funny and interesting what's what's coming next you know she's, yeah. she's pretty good and i think you know one of the reasons why we published the, her book is because we thought so highly of her yeah as an individual yeah, yeah. she was just she was just brilliant and so we you know we were on support even if we thought we might not be able to sell as many copies as we, as we would hope 
to sell with a, one of our normal books or our regular books. Mm-hmm. Because sure. you came over so brilliantly and was so enthusiastic and, and you know, just, uh, uh, as I say, you know, a really great person and brilliant for po- women in poker. Excellent. We wanted to do the book. Well, I, I didn't know that that would be your answer to that question, but that dovetails very neatly into the next question uh, that uh, that Crystal's had for you guys. Uh, you know, for Byron in particular, um, you know, you did recently publish that book uh, by Amanda Bodfeld. Uh, again, as we mentioned, a cards chat writer as well. It's called A Girl's Guide to Poker. Um, if you were to guess, you know, I don't know if there's any way you can actually know, uh, what percentage of the people who buy your books are women and is that growing? It's hard. I can to only know. judge on um, if we're when we happen to be in Vegas and people come to the stand, mm-hmm. because maybe you can make the the, the supposition that that's going to be split pretty much. Um, it's going to be representative of 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 the division between uh, men and women who who do buy our product, and it's it's obvious. I mean, the poker world's fairly heavily male dominated. Sure. Um, uh, but you know, obviously, we've had you know m- many, many women coming to the stand over the over the years. Um, they tend not to spin out the bad beat stories as much as the men do. I will say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think there are. I think there are definitely more women in poker. I mean, we have, we have, we have a big newsletter that is mail out to thousands of people um, regularly, and I think you know the number of women that are subscribers and the feedback that I get through our um, email address. It's definitely more women than they used to be, without a doubt, without a doubt. I think that is growing. Um, well, that's something uh, we're always that's, happy that's, to hear. Yeah, uh, not, yeah. yeah not just on the cards jet world, but in the whole industry. Yeah. Uh, that's something, you know, we, we all want uh, more women to go ahead and, and join us at Can the I ask table. you a question, Robbie? Do, do you feel the same? You know, do you, is your experience that there are more women interacting and getting involved in, in the poker world? I, I Again, I don't have hard data right. on this, but... Yeah. Um, it seems to be that way. I hope I'm not like sort of projecting it or creating it. It yeah. seems to be that way. Perhaps it's just quite frankly, as a function of the growth of the game as a whole, you know, as the pie gets bigger, even if it's exactly the same percentage, it's still an absolute larger number of women. But I would say yeah. that there yeah. seem to be a lot more specifically online uh, activity from women's poker yeah. Facebook groups, uh, from uh, Poker Power in particular, yeah. kind of the new player yeah. on the scene, really working yeah. to, uh, you know, promote it and, and bring more women uh, from that place of empowerment. I think that's a beautiful yeah. thing. Um, yeah. But like anything else, you know, you can't win a, a tournament in, in in level one. You know, it is a slow build and it takes time. But yeah. I, I certainly feel that way. And I, I, I do try to say, you know, we we the statistics are that, you know, what, about 5%? Uh, you know, women who yeah. are playing the game. I'm, yeah. you know, very pleased. You know, it doesn't happen, you know, on purpose like this, but I just sort of look back, uh, you know, as episode 89, on average, I'd say we've got, you know, one out of every four, you know, about 25% of our guests here uh, on the Cards Chat podcast have been right. women. Uh, you know, I don't get, I don't necessarily actively try to, you know, maintain that ratio, but there are so many great, wonderful women, you know, who we can highlight and, and bring their stories to light here through the podcast that, you know, yeah, if we if we stick to that 25%, that certainly grows it from 5%. So that's that's how I can answer that question. Um, we'll do one more for you, Byron, and then one more for Dan. Um, again, from Crystals wants to know about how many pitches do you review from authors on a, any given year? 
You mean um, people who submit stuff to us yeah. for consideration for publishing? Mm-hmm. How many we get during a year? Um, difficult, I'd say. Between ten and fifteen, Dan, do you think? Yeah, Does that sound about right. Because yeah. normally they come. Dan monitors the email address when they turn up, and he'll, uh-huh. you know, pass them on to me. I think it's probably about ten to fifteen. Yeah, one every two or three yeah. weeks, something like that. It's probably, okay. Feel feels about right. Yeah. And if you want to know how many of them actually eventually make it into book form, it's probably like 10%, something like that. So it's like they make um, the money. You know, they enter the tournament, about 10% make the money. Actually, yeah. I don't, actually, I don't mean I'm saying like I said, yeah, in the money, yeah 10% you know? in the money. That's right. You've got to get through the bubble. for yeah, <laughs> Exactly. Right. Um, uh, one thing I would say, people might find this interesting. If they're thinking of writing a book or they've got an idea to write a book, a poker book, and they want to contact us, I'll make it easy for you. I want to see... Uh, an example of your writing, I want to see what you can do, a blog, a magazine article, anything like that, a, a list of contents of the book, so I know what the book's about, potentially a title, and about two or three paragraphs, so we're talking about 100, 150 words, that sa- sums up why this book is so amazing and different from anything else that's out there and why people want to buy it. So if you send me a little pack of that stuff, I won't have to write back and say, actually, what I want to see is X, Y, and Z. So send that through, and I'll be very happy to look at anything that anyone feels they want to send through. And then I will ask, you know, if they, if anyone out there does have the next great poker book idea and does want to do so, what would be the address to send you that information? So simply info at dnbpoker.com. Sounds good. Okay. And uh, we will end off with our final question uh, for Dan here again from Crystals. Uh, if you could envision sort of the ideal year for your company, how much would you like to be published? In terms of books? Well, uh, we published, I think in our, in our most active year, we published five books and that was the limit. Um, I think we wouldn't publish more than five books in a year, just in terms of manpower, in uh-huh. terms of, um, obviously we have freelancers that work for us and, and do various things, but it's primarily my Baron and myself. And just so that we, any more than that, and we can't devote the amount of time needed mm. to, to uh, make the books a success. Maybe even five is probably too, too many, you know, really I would say three is probably... Uh, on the nose as you know the ideal amount because then i feel that i'm not cheating anybody by not spending enough time on on their on their books to promote it you know these authors put so much time and effort of course they get paid for it but they put so much time and effort into writing their book that we i feel they know what to do as much as possibly can to make their books a success and if we publish too many books in a year then i i kind of feel that i i'm it's not fair Right. the authors so i would say you know three three books a year is probably is probably about right. at the end of the day you want to produce you want quality not quantity you know mm-hmm. it, i'd much rather do like three books and have one really good book and and the other two good or rather than do like seven books and they're all kind of like they're kind of okay but not not you know it's, it's better to do high quality books because then you, they, they've got a longer shelf life. They'll last longer and they'll, you know, we'll still be selling. I mean, you know, excelling at no limit holder, we published in 2015. We're still selling it very well month by month now. Sure. Yeah. Same with a couple of John Little's books. And, you know, that's what you want. You want a book that's going to last for a long time rather than something that kind of lights up and then dies away. You know, you know we have a very strong reputation, obviously producing quality material. And if we start churning out <laughs> books, too regularly then that undoubtedly is going to suffer so 
that's why we pick and choose very carefully which books we do actually publish so that we maintain our very high standards. I, I love that answer, you know, very insightful. And I guess, you know, in a way to sort of wrap it up, you know, folks who go ahead and listen, you know, who, who's Dan Adelman, who's Byron Jacobs, you know, what are you guys all about? It is far more, you know, than now that we've learned about you over the last hour plus than just, okay, it's a business, sure. And, you know, everyone understands that aspect to it, but you know, your passion for what you do is exceptionally clear. And it's not just about that sort of bottom line. It's really about something, you know, these are your babies, you know, yeah, <laughs> that, that you're putting yeah. out there and you want to, you know, just, you know, do something, you know, I, I can sort of like, it, it's very clear when you put a book out there, you've put your heart, soul, effort, time uh, into it. And, you know, whether it does sell well or not, it's something that you can be proud of mm -hmm. and that, you know, you're happy to have spent your time and dedicated yourselves to. Um, and I just want to thank everyone who sent in questions to Dan, to Byron, and just a reminder uh, to everyone out there in the Cards Chat community, once again, we'd love to see you submit your questions for our future podcast guests in the dedicated thread on the forums. Guys, please be sure to give us a good review on iTunes. Spread the word via your social media channels if you like the show. Uh, guys, it's a pleasure speaking with you. Before we let you go, anything else you'd like to tell the Cards Chat audience? Uh, just briefly, our forward publishing schedule. Um, we've just published Mastering Small States Cash Games by Evan Jarvis. And as we mentioned before, we're publishing 100 Biggest Mistakes That um, Poker Players Make by Alex Fitzgerald. That's coming out uh, in the next few weeks. Um, and both are going to be in audio format and both also coming out in the next few weeks and obviously in ebook format too. So that's, that's the next uh, batch of books from DB. Um, so go out there and buy them. Excellent. Well, sounds good. Thank you guys again, Dan Adelman, Byron Jacobs. Thank you all yeah, for thanks, tuning thanks in. Thanks for having us on, Robbie. Yeah, thanks, Robbie. Our pleasure. Thank you all for tuning once again uh, to another episode of the Card Chat Podcast. I'm Robbie Straczynski. You can follow me on Twitter at Card Player Life. I wish you all a wonderful day. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.